Welcome to the Six Figure Product Biz Podcast. I'm Carrie, a product-based business coach. I started, scaled, and sold a successful multi-six-figure e-commerce business, and now I love teaching entrepreneurs like you how to start, grow, and scale your dream product business. I'm obsessed with all things marketing, e-commerce, and business, and I cannot wait to share all my secrets with you. I also love all things dogs and coffee. Each week, you'll learn step-by-step tangible strategies to help you scale to the next level in your business, skyrocket your sales and traffic, reach more customers, and gain greater visibility in your business. Because I know you don't want to waste your time or energy trying to figure it out all on your own, but you want the business growth roadmap so you can create a profitable product business that gives you the life you love. Whether you're thinking of starting a product biz or scaling yours, this podcast is the secret sauce to making all those dreams come true. So grab your coffee and your favorite notepad and let's get started. Welcome to episode 137 of the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. Today is a very special episode. We have someone who is both in my membership group, the e-commerce society. She's become like a new friend and who doesn't love making friends that with other like awesome business people? Like there really isn't anything better because you need business friends on your corner. You need to like be around other people who have business businesses that you kind of connect with. So Kristen's amazing. We have Kristen Fisher. She is the founder of Boku Box and she has a really cool story and she's going to share a lot of that story on the podcast today. We talked for a long time, but essentially she worked on the other side of things. She helped people she was a buyer for like a shop, you know, Urban Outfitters and Anthropology and all these like really cool stores. And so she has this really in-depth understanding of how to get your products on the shelves of these really big brand retail stores. And oftentimes people will ask me some questions about like, you know, how do I get my product in stores? And I'm always like, that's not really my area of expertise. And I'm now happy that I can share, um, you know, another resource for people that are wondering that. And we have had a couple of podcast episodes on here about wholesale and getting your product into stores. But honestly, like, if that's something that you're looking to do, there's so everyone will bring a different experience to you, especially coming from this angle where Kristen was a buyer for like an Urban Outfitters and Anthropology. So she has a really good understanding of what they're looking for, um, how to reach out to them, how to approach it, like how to pitch. And she's going to share all that stuff in the episode today. And then she's also, again, the founder of Boku Box, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, gift box company. So they make she makes personal hand-wrapped gift boxes from birthdays to business. We make it easy and you make their day. So of course, I love that so much. But her, her gift boxes are just beautiful. They are... The packaging is beautiful. I mean, you're going to have an awesome customer experience. So if you're looking to get a, a gift box for someone's birthday or for holiday season, which is right now, you can grab a box and you can use discount code Kerry 15 for 15% off of your first Boku box. So again, it is shopboku.com. And you can use the discount code Kerry15, K-E-R-R-I-E 15. So let's dive into this episode. This is a really fun one. Again, um, I love bringing people on that have different areas of expertise than I do. So this episode's a good one. Grab a coffee, grab a huge glass of wine, because this episode is going to get you pumped up to be able to get your stuff into big stores, which is pretty cool. Hi, Kristen. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Hi, I am so happy and honored to be here. So thank you for having me. Yay. 
So we're going to talk about a lot of cool things in terms of retail and wholesale and products and probably some other random stuff. But before we get started, if you want to just quickly introduce yourself and then just a little bit about like your background, your story and how because you have a product business, but you also do coaching and things like that. So you kind of have a lot of things going on. Um, So let's kind of hear a little bit about your story and just how you ended up what you're doing today. All right. I'll try and make it succinct for you. (laughs) So I'm Kristen Fisher. And I, as you said, I'm a product and retail strategy coach. I'm also the founder and CEO of the gifting brand Boku. So we do hand-wrapped gift boxes. So everything from, you know, one gift-wrapped gift box for a birthday, all the way through large scale for businesses, kind of everything in between. So that's what I do now. My background though, I have over 15 years of experience in corporate retail. So I've done everything from design, product development, and sourcing, but spent most of my career working as a buyer. So I've worked for major retailers like Urban Outfitters and Land's End and J. Jill and a bunch of different brands. And you know, I would say probably 2017 or so, I was starting to feel a little bit burnt out. And that is when I started to say, okay, what can I do for myself that's just a fun, creative outlet? And instead of like picking up some cute, fun hobby like painting or ceramics, I decided to start a full on business, but I started it as a creative outlet and just wanted to kind of see where it went. And so it was really a side hustle, fun thing for me for a couple of years. And in 2021, I was able to scale it to a point where I could leave my corporate career and do that full time. Mm -hmm. So over that time, I, once I was able to kind of step away from the corporate side of things and have a little bit of breathing room, I realized that I really loved talking to and helping other product-based business owners. And kind of my secret sauce for my business was leveraging the experience I had on the corporate retail side with that kind of product foundational strategy that I applied to my business kind of unknowingly, you know, it was just the natural progression. And that's what I was starting to help other people do. And so this year, I kind of more formalized it in a way where I just took it from little bit of advice here and there in the DMs or, you know, quick chats with people to actually being able to help people in a more structured way where they can see bigger results. So that's where the coaching side of the business kind of took shape. So it's really been the last six months where I've been doing that a little more Hmm. formally, I should say up until now, it's been years of just helping people on the side. So kind of doing a bit of both and, you know, balancing it all. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Nice. When did you, I'd love to talk about that a little bit, but I'm just curious of like the story with your business. When, like what made you think I want to do this like gift company? Because your company, like your packaging is amazing. The products, like you have really high end, beautiful, like everything's curated. So of course that's like my favorite thing in the whole world. What, like what made you think I want to do a gifting business company or like a gifting product company? Sorry. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment because coming from you, I'm like blushing over here on the other <laughs> side of the screen. I'm like, oh, fangirling over Carrie, complimenting my packaging. Um, so I re- I kind of did skip over that because I wanted to keep it quick for you, but I'll go into it. So for me, I am a packaging product gift lover, all the things like beautiful packaging is, I think for me personally, it's always been just as fun as like what's inside the gift. Mm-hmm. I've loved that experience of that always. Ever since I was little, I was hand making my own gift tag, like as a little kid, oh, you know, it's wow. always something I love doing. Um, 
which I didn't really reflect on until later, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. But truly the, the origin of it is I got engaged. And at that time I started being on the receiving end of gifts and simultaneously a ton of my friends, it was at that time in my life where a ton of my friends were getting engaged or buying homes or having babies and all these huge life events. And it was very expensive, very timely. And just, I just didn't have the time, costly, timely, all the things didn't have the time to really put a thoughtful gift together for everybody. And so I was either just like dropping the ball and not gifting, or I was picking and choosing who I could gift based on budget or just, you know, capacity. So it got me kind of thinking, well, I've been feeling a little bit burnout. I want this, you know, something, you know, I want to start a business. I've always kind of had this little itch for that. And it felt like a natural thing to start playing around with. And when I started doing, you know, the competitive research, I'm very much a planner. So I was doing the business plan and going through the steps of like doing the due diligence. You know, there are a ton of gift box businesses or companies out there, but no one is doing gift wrap. And at the time, a lot of them were more high end, higher price points. And I was looking for something that could still be attainable, but still, you know, get that kind of luxe feeling in that that unboxing experience across, even if you're not handing someone a gift in person. So it really was born out of a personal need, but then also seeing some white space in the market. So that's kind of the the origin of how I went from an idea to a gifting business. I love that. And I have to ask you before we dive in any further, um, since you just mentioned that you love like packaging and all that, what is like a memorable, well, like what's like a, if you can think of one memorable package that you've received in the mail, like what brand was it? Mm-hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot and I have two off the top of my head I could also mention, but I'm curious okay. since you like it too. Well, let me think here. So, or one that you've been like disappointed with, you could also go that route and maybe not mention the name, but if, if you want to. I would say, um, I can, it's funny because you said, what are you disappointed in? I thought of 15 off the top of my head. Um, so I have a friend who has a shop here in Philly called vestige and it's vintage. And like, she just has this really cool boho shop. And I received a box from her once something that I had ordered. She didn't package it. It wasn't like she did anything extra for me, but it just was this really beautiful extra touch that everything was branded from the packaging. And it wasn't this like over the top printed box, all of that. Cause her brand is very simple and clean and boho, but it just had that extra touch. You opened it. The tissue paper felt really nice. There was a dried leaf taped on top with a little handwritten note and then the product. And it was just that little extra detail. It was beautiful and unexpected. Um, And we were just talking about soul CBD and I had recently purchased them for the first time. I've been a fan for a long time, just of the brand, but mm-hmm. their box is really fun and interesting. And they have just messaging and um, testimonials on the box itself. And I just thought it was a fun Gosh, I love it. unboxing experience. It wasn't necessarily that it was packaged beautifully, but the box itself was really thoughtfully designed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that was interesting. Um, I love that. And least favorites are just whenever you're buying from a brand that has an elevated experience, shopping experience, or they come across on social as this like elevated experience and you get it. And it's like tumble, tumbleweeds in the box where it's oh like God. wrinkled yeah. and yes. you know, like, what is happening here? It's 
you got to have the, the brand has to go. So yeah, it has to be a seamless experience. Otherwise the tangible component is a letdown and then you're not inclined to be necessarily a loyal customer. You think of them differently. Well, I'm now I'm blanking on her brand. The girl from Stranger Things who launched the like skincare and beauty brand. I don't know why I'm blank. Oh, um, Flo. No, Florence. Florence by Mills. Is that it? You know what? You're asking the wrong person because <gasps> I can never remember anybody's names. I could Google it here if we want. Florence. I'm like literally Googling. I have to because I have to talk about the packaging experience. Okay. Florence by Mills. Yes. Yeah, so... She has like the the lavender purple with like the white font. And I'm just like obsessed with the branding because it literally is the same color as the product business I have, the Dapper Dog Box. The same lavender with the white. And I just love purple. I love purple. If I ever do another product, it's likely going to have purple branding because I like purple. So, so excited. I literally ordered the products literally so I could do like an unboxing video. And I get the product in the mail. I'm counting down the days. I'm checking my email basically excited for a product and it shows up and it's like Amazon in a little ugly brown cardboard box. Nothing on the inside except a freaking like sticker, a page of stickers. There was no insert. There was nothing. I was so disappointed. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing. You don't have to like that. Oh, like it just kills me. You you don't have to invest. So snobby, but no, but, but it, yeah. here's the thing. It's not snobby. We're living in a time when brick and mortar retail still is important and valid and it's evolving, but online shopping experience, people still want to feel the brand at home. It's just, it's just shifting. And so that is so important. And I think you don't have to invest thousands and thousands of dollars on packaging to still do it well. So when you're first starting out, you can have the craft box, but how are you elevating that? You can still make it feel like a brand experience, but just a pack of stickers. Come on. I know. I just, I think I had high expectations and I saw other YouTube videos where people were doing unboxing. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so awesome. Um, because I'm doing more video content, doing unboxings because I genuinely like, that's like my favorite thing to do. Like, let's open up a package. Let's like, look at things. I try not to focus on the negative things, but for that one, I actually did a video on my TikTok where I talked about like what they could have done to improve it. But I was very disappointed because I think it's probably like quite a big brand given that it's started by one of the girl from Stranger Things who is like, how many followers? She probably has like, what, 70 million followers or something crazy. Well, I need to get you a Boku then so you can let me know your feedback on the experience. Oh my God, I love it. I'll, I'll, I will buy one. I need to support my peeps in my program. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I just am always curious about like whenever someone says, oh, I love packaging. I have to like talk about packaging for a sec. Yeah. Um, but I got a, po- a package from Maddle, pa- Maddle Boards recently. I've been talking about them a lot. Oh my gosh. The best. Obsessed. It came in a in a brown box. However, when you open it up, it's like you this beautiful branded bag with all the stuff inside it was just like a work of art I I mean I don't usually gush over brands so excessively multiple times on my podcast but like I have been so impressed with this brand I just can't get over it (laughs) 
that's what you want. Like that's, you want people to be obsessed with you, like to yeah. start enough to purchase from you, but then mm-hmm. it's like, you want people to love you enough to purchase from you, but then become obsessed with you after they receive it. And, you know, on my end, I'm fully strictly a gifting brand. And so the people that purchase from me don't personally experience the unboxing it's basically a two a two customer touch point with each order. So the person that purchases doesn't actually experience it. So I have the due diligence of making sure I'm still making them feel, you know, good after the purchase, but then the experience is their recipient receiving it and the feedback that they get. So it's all about that relationship after the gift is opened and kind of keeping, you know, the unboxing, it's the person that's receiving it has never even maybe heard about. Boku. So they are getting it. And they're like, what is this brand? You know? So it's, it's like the unboxing experience and becoming obsessed with it is so it's so important to me too, because you want that person to be like, Oh my God, I have to buy from this brand. Mm-hmm. That's like the goal. Oh my gosh. I love it. I'm excited to, to order from you. I think I will be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Gonna be sweating bullets whenever we're wrapping your order. No, no, no. I'm. I sound like I feel like I sound so high maintenance over packaging, but I just I attribute so much of my business, not my current business, but like my product business success with the unboxing experience. And like when someone opens a box, they're like, "Oh my god, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen." I gotta get my phone, take a video, post it on social media, which then gets your brand in front of all those people's audiences. And it's like a trickle effect. So I think for me, it's like now ingrained in my brain. And I think it's something that a lot of brands just kind of don't value. And I think they're missing an opportunity. And I really think that because of the way e-commerce is is coming, more and more people are opening stores. And like if your experience, like your customer experience is, is that like Amazon, like a cardboard box like with nothing in it, you know, I think you're missing an opportunity and you're not wowing your customer. You know, customers expect the shitty experience from Amazon, but I think they don't necessarily from other like small brands, you know? Exactly. And I think it's easier to shop from Amazon. So if you want, or if you don't care about the experience and you're just looking for the quick purchase, you're going to take the free one day shipping Mm -hmm. and order from Amazon. If you're taking the extra step to support a small business and shop from them, you're expecting a little bit more because more than likely you're paying for shipping, you know, or you're paying a little bit more for the product. And so it it doesn't take that much to go a little step further to make sure that they're, you know, yeah, excited about unboxing experience. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So I think it's, I think it's an important topic. So, um, okay, cool. That was a great, like, segue let's come back to (laughs) let's come back to before I like literally start going on a tangent about packaging I could literally talk about packaging all day Uh, tell us us, like about because you mentioned before we started talking something about urban outfitters and like bad pitches that you get can you kind of talk about what you did with like urban outfitters and then sort of like how that kind of plays into what you do today yeah. It's funny because it's, you're picking up on, a, I probably mentioned urban outfitters because that is a, a point in my career where I feel like I kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug because they are so unlike any other retailer that I've worked for and that they encourage their buying team to treat their businesses like their own businesses. Oh. And 
you operate kind of in your own bubble. You have the total trend that, you know, everyone's kind of working towards for a floor set. You have the color palette and the themes and all of that, but really you have so much money, certain amount of money set aside and you're open to buy where you are responsible for finding the newest trends, finding the newest brands, pushing the category forward. So you have a certain percent that aligns with the rest of the store and then a certain percent that is new, the next greatest thing. That's why when you walk through Anthro or Urban, you know, both the same company, you know, same uh, parent company. That's why when you walk through those stores, they feel really eclectic because the buyers are looking for the next exciting thing. So we were constantly traveling. I was in Europe, constantly in New York. We were in LA. We were always, you know, going to festival music festivals and just seeing what was going on out there, what was like the next biggest thing. And it kind of just taught me to open my eyes up to not just what's literally in front of you when you walk through a trade show, but what's truly going on out there Mm -hmm. with the target customer and figuring out how to say, okay, here's the money that I have to spend. How can I maximize that money? And how can I leave a little bit aside to constantly be testing and trying new things and figuring out what my customer might like next. Um, Cause if you, if you kind of get into the safe pattern, you're constantly going to bring in the same couple of best-selling products and you can just kind of like wash and repeat every floor set, which is, you know, what a lot of more traditional retailers do. Whereas the brands like urban is always trying to push the envelope forward and find new, you know, new brands. A lot of like, that's a more forward um, brand. So for me, it, that experience opened me up to not only just, you know, uh, being open to trends and spotting trends where I hadn't been as comfortable with that prior to that role. Um, but it also put me out in front of a lot of other brands and talking to small retailers and other big brands, all trying to get into urban or on the flip side, sometimes me trying to convince them to go into urban because it doesn't always have, you know, doesn't always have the best reputation for, you know, in certain instances. So sometimes it was me trying to convince a brand to let me in. And other times it was most of the time it was brands knocking down the door, trying to get in. And so I got a ton of pitches. I was constantly having to edit down and figure out what made sense for the assortment and for the trends and the money that I had to spend. And so that's kind of the, you know, on a macro scale, what eventually has influenced me now, you know, years later, with my own brand and how I run the business and how I work with other brands. Oh, that's so cool. How did you end up like, how did you end up working at Urban Outfitters or like working for them? Not like, well, it was kind of a bucket list brand, either Urban or Anthro. I was honestly like, whichever one, I just knew, you know, from an industry perspective, I knew that they were, um, it was a company that I wanted to work for because their offices are super cool. If you've never seen their offices, Oh my God, you can have your dog there. You would love that. People had dogs there. They were just stunning offices. So there was like that bonus of it, but also just the creative side of it, because Mm -hmm. I've always kind of just on my path, you know, going back to college, I studied design and merchandising and had minored in business. So I've always been this equally right and left brain. And, And so I was always trying to figure out, okay, well, is the numbers side what I want to focus on or is the creative side what I want to focus on? And so I knew that the way the urban, you know, company was structured, that they allowed their buyers to have kind of that mix of both in their role. Hmm. And so my path there, you know, it's always about relationship building. So I had interviewed with them at one point and didn't get 
past the interview stages. Mm -hmm. And then I went along my merry way throughout my career. And I ended up having um, a manager at uh, Landsend who went to Urban Outfitter, back to Urban Outfitter. She was there, left and went back Mm -hmm. and ended up taking me there with her. And so that's how I kind of got my foot in the door. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the way that I got into that into that role. I worked in accessories for her for a couple of years and um, before I had transitioned back over to apparel and it was just the most fun categories to work on. Cause it's so fast. Accessories are really a fast category. And like, cause I feel like I don't know anything about this side of the retail space. Cause I, I, I yeah. haven't, I haven't worked in retail. I, you know, I don't know. I do love urban outfitters. So I used to go to in Boston, Harvard, um, Harvard square, where Harvard is. And so I feel like my teenage years, I would take the train into Boston or Cambridge alone and like go to Urban Outfitters. And like, I can still literally picture walking through the floors and like looking at this beautiful stuff and never being able to afford anything. Like literally like, oh, those jeans are like $80. And this was when I was like in high school or something. I'm like, I can't afford anything. And I would always go to the bargain basement downstairs. (laughs) And then try and copy the luck. <laughs> and still couldn't afford anything. But I d- I've been in that s- Harvard Square Urban Outfitters. Like that was like such a staple of ca- that area of Cambridge. I'm not sure if it's still there. Probably. Um, I think that it may be closed. Maybe. But yeah, that like I feel like I have very good memories from being younger. And literally I can picture the exact layout of the store and it's like so wacky and like just super fun. So I think that's so cool. Um, so you bought you, so you were a buyer. So like, were you assigned like a specific store and you only bought stuff for that one store? Like, how did that work? I'm just curious. No. So I bought for all stores and e-com. Um, yeah. And so I would say I, what's really kind of interesting is my career kind of evolved with the e-com world evolving. So when I first started my career, buyers bought for all stores or they bought for the website. And then throughout my career, it merged together and the term omni-channel merchant came about where you bought for the store and the website, which is just such a cool kind of evolution through like for me to kind of go from experiencing that throughout the career, but I bought the total chain and for all of my buying experience, it was always for total chain and almost always for us only, but yeah, it was for that and for the website. So it's very interesting to see there's different, you know, when you are buying for total chain, you have people that are specialists in it's the allocation team is what they're called. And they look at region specific things and they give you kind of guidance. But as a buyer, you have to be really in tune with, okay, my winter, let's say it's cold weather accessories, hats, gloves, and and scarves. I'm buying it for 550 stores. Well, guess what? 65 of them, it's hot as hell in (laughs) October when this assortment is coming out. So we probably don't want to give them that. We have to give them something else. So you, you start to think about your assortment regionally, um, you know, as well as like making sure the total kind of collection feels cohesive. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a long-winded answer. I just love talking about this so I could talk no, about it. No, <laughs> I love it too. I like this is so interesting to me because you you kind of don't really, I mean, you do because you worked in that, but like you kind of don't think 
how do products get in these like huge shops when they have all these different locations? I've literally never once thought about how that happened. So um, it's just interesting. But I think it's cool because you and how would you how did you find the product? So I know that you said you went to trade shows, you traveled, you went to festivals. Um, what about the people pitching to you? Like, what did that look like? And I feel like we need to hear some bad pitches. (laughs) (laughs) Our favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) So the other thing I should have mentioned too, what's kind of crazy is Instagram was really becoming a thing when I was working for urban specifically. And, you know, so this was like finding trends before Instagram was like a cool thing. So I feel like I was an OG trend spotter, right? Like I should have been an influencer. Um, (laughs) But in terms of finding products, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways. There were, of course, some brands that were our mainstays. And then we also um, had our design, our in-house design team. So a percent of the assortment always came from the in-house design team. Mm-hmm. And then a percent was left for, you know, finding other brands. So I would always try and balance it by brands that either had brand recognition in a bigger way so that we could make sure we're still kind of capturing, you know, some of that brand recognition out there, but then having a balance of small brands, which was the most fun part. Um, and that was really honestly, it came down to like what fit into the line. So if I was like looking for something, I don't know, I'm going to make this up because I have, I have Florence by Mills on my screen. So if I was looking for something purple, right. And I had a specific trend bucket I was looking for. And I found a brand that I was like, this brand is super cool. And you know, whatever, I'm going to reach out to them. So I would reach out sometimes if I found something or if I was traveling, I just would find them. A lot of times, I don't know how these people at the time, I didn't know how these people were finding my email, but I would just get tons of emails in my inbox of people just attaching their line sheet and cold emailing and just hoping that we would respond. Um, So, I mean, there were a lot of good ones and there were a lot of not so good ones. The not so good ones would be things that were very obviously copy and pasted, which we've talked about. And they might, you know, put my name at the top, but forget to swap out Urban Outfitters with insert other brand that they had re- previously emailed. And I'm like, okay, this is potentially one of the biggest pitches of your brand. Like this is potentially one of the biggest brands you've reached out to on behalf of your brand. Mm-hmm. So just swap out the right store. I mean, it happens at the smallest level yeah. and the biggest level. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. Not taking the time to even spell my name right, um, that or not using my name at all. Um, it just very clearly felt to me in many instances that they didn't think their email was going to reach me. And so they just were like, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to copy paste or, you know, send it out there. Um, another thing truly is just how you structure your email, because you have to know that the person receiving it on the other end has very limited time. It's just like a journalist with PR, right? They have very limited time. They're getting a ton of emails. They're going to read the first couple lines. And if you're kicking off the email and you're just talking about yourself, yes, you probably have this amazing, really cool story about how you started your brand and why you did that. But like, I have already moved on to the next email by the time I finished reading about that because I have 30 minutes to check hundred emails and making that up, you know? So yeah. you've got to kind of kick it off with like why your product or your brand could fit in that store or why it's a white space opportunity, kind of like pitch it to the, you know, 
why it's a good fit for that store before you're talking about your story, which is also an important thing to talk about, but it's how you structure your emails. You know, it's kind of like interesting, the basic tip. Yeah. Which I mean, people need that tip because (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a common thing. We had a conversation before we started recording on like bad pitches and people not, you know, putting the name, right. Just there's so much bad stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're going to send an email to a brand, definitely like go through, make sure you put the right brand name in, make sure you put the right person's name in that spelled correctly. These are small details, but I will say just from experience having a podcast now and having my own product business, if people spell my name wrong, the email is deleted immediately because it just shows like you're not really you're not making an effort and like you're probably just copy and pasting and not taking the time, which means you're not actually invested in like being in that store, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, which we were talking about this a little bit too, but it, as I'm thinking about this, it reminds me of also your brand positioning and being aware of what the store is, what they sell and what you are offering. So if your brand is, you know, a paddleboard brand and you are reaching out to my, I don't know, I, I can't even think my gift shop, let's use Boku as an example. I don't sell paddleboards. So why are you taking the time to email me about that? You know, you have to be, you have to think about your brand presence and your brand positioning as well as the retailers that you're reaching out to. If your brand doesn't make any sense, then why are you wasting your time and their time? It just doesn't, you got to think through that the whole, you know, the whole way. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of people just, I don't know. I, I don't know what the process is. I didn't really ever do that with my business. Like I would pitch things, but I sort of just think I knew like, okay, you need to probably because my background is in marketing and like, you know, I was in my 30s when I started my first business. So I probably was like a little bit older. But I think just given my my I worked in international education and I basically traveled and like marketed um, studying in the U.S. to international students. So I would I would have to be very detail oriented with like presentations and um, like work also with like working with university like higher up people. So I think that kind of prepped me for my product business. And like, if I'm pitching something, make sure you kind of like dot those T's or whatever the expression is. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, there's a fine line between being super buttoned up and so like, you know, uh, strict sounding versus, Hey girl, what's up? Like, you don't want to also do that. You need something (laughs) in, but like strike a balance here. (laughs) Think about who you're emailing, you know? (laughs) There's a fine line. Oh my God. I love it. Um, That's so funny. So, okay. So you worked for Urban and Anthro. I actually didn't know they were owned by the same company. I feel like that, I feel like that's not, I don't know. I don't know how I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I always, I'm like, yeah, that's common knowledge, but you know, it's, it's probably not. So Urban owns Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Free People, Beholden. (gasps) I didn't know that either. See, I didn't know they were free people either. Yeah, it just shows my lack of knowledge of retail. <laughs> but I think that's it's common. Like it's a common. <laughs> I think, but thing. I do like they do a really good job of having each brand feel different. So yeah, if you didn't know that, 
you know, but now that you do think about how each of those brands have that experience in the store and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do have similarities that cross over in terms of how they um, present themselves from an ex- a customer experience perspective. Mm, I mean, I do. So Anthropology is the only store that of those three that I've really been in frequently over the past few years. I don't even I can't even think of where there's any Urban Outfitters, but um, but I love Anthropology. I love it. Like you walk in and it's oh, like always looks different. The decor is different. And I love their home goods section with like the beautiful wine glass. Oh, my God. I just want to buy everything like those beautiful well, wine say, glasses and okay, plates. I'll, I'm going to admit this. <laughs> Um, Anthro is one of the experiences where I am underwhelmed by their experience once you receive something from online because oh, really? their store, I think, is such a beautiful experience. You walk in, you smell that volcano candle that is like, oh, yes, the candle. Number one company, yep. their one, number one product in the company is that candle for years and years. Oh, really? And, you know, it's just because they're always burning it and it's such an experience. And the, I feel like even online, their photography is really beautiful. And then I think when you get their order or their packaging in the mail and don't ever pay to get something gift wrapped. Okay. You know, it's like when you get that, I've tested all the gift wrapping options out. It's super underwhelming. So that is one that that I'm underwhelmed by. Good to know. It's very interesting, but I I like that. It's like looking at getting something online versus in person. And like you, you want to have that in-person experience through the mail so interesting yeah, yeah. so okay so I love your story it's so interesting I feel like I have so many questions about your product business but I kind of want to like segue into how you help people because I know that we talked about how you help people get ready for like you help them get like retail ready is that right yeah can yeah, we kind of I mean, talk about any of that yeah. I mean, there's a couple, a couple of things like specific to the wholesale side, since we've been talking on that, mm-hmm. I work with a lot of makers to help them, you know, make sure their pricing makes sense, both on the back end and the customer facing side, looking at where they're placed in the market and making sure that their actual retail makes sense, not just taking their cost and doubling it. You know, what does it really make sense for your product? working with them on, you know, balancing out their assortment. So they have an offer that can actually, you know, translate when a buyer is coming to them. That's not just like, Oh, I have a couple of cards, but you have an assortment. So someone could come to you and say, okay, I actually just want to buy my stationary line for fall. It's just going to come from you and I'll buy your cards, your, you know, all the things and have a really balanced assortment, but not having too many, because there's a fine line between that. So we work through the assortment piece. And then also just like how the heck you get into stores. So I've worked with makers at the very beginning stage of wholesale on, okay, here's what makes sense. And here's how to approach that. And then also people that are wholesaling and ready for that, like next level of trying to get into a brand like urban or, you know, anthropology or a larger scale brand that sells uh, like a Nordstrom or something. How do you kind of break through that. So there's different levels. Um, but I'm just obsessed with product and I love working with people and helping them figure out how to balance out their assortment and make more money instead of just buying everything that their heart desires or designing everything that their heart desires. That's like a sweet spot for me from a coaching perspective. Like how, what would you, cause again, we talked about this before I, I have no experience with wholesale. I got 
my one product or not my one product. I got one of my products into like one shop and that was it. But I don't consider that like that's not wholesale really at all. It's just one little random thing. But how like what are some ways that people can get their stuff into like a cool shop? It doesn't have to be necessarily like an anthropology, but say they're like, oh, you know what? There's a lot of boutiques in my town and I want to kind of get all my products in for Christmas season. Like how what would that look like? Like how what would they have to do? How do they prep for that? Like, do you find that a lot of times their pricing is just way too low and it just doesn't make sense to do wholesale? Because I think a lot of times, like a lot of people, clients I work with, I help direct to consumer. Um, But a lot of clients I work with, they're like, you know, I want to do wholesale, but like my margins, I only have, they just don't make sense. So I'm just curious. So, I mean, I think the, the very first thing is making sure that you're brand itself is set up for wholesale. Like to your point, making sure your pricing makes sense. Mm -hmm. And usually you have to raise your retails a little bit because you have to make sure you have the room for that, but you can't go wild because you still have to make sense Mm -hmm. in the landscape of whatever you sell. If you sell cards, you can't be like, you know, my cards are going to be $10 each because that's just what it has to be in order for me to make profit. Well, you're never going to sell a flipping card if you're, well, unless they're like, I don't know. Those, what are those ones from Boston? The pop-up cards, they run Shark Tank. Those like, you know what I'm talking about? They're like the pop-up. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to look it up. (laughs) They can be $10. That's the point of that one. But, um, you know, you have to really make sure that your pricing makes sense. So before you even do anything, it's like, okay, if it doesn't make sense, then how can you cut your costs or how can you, do you need to buy something in bulk to get the cost down so that it actually makes sense? Um, or if you just want to dip your toe and see how it feels, maybe you make a little bit less, you know, pro- of your intentional profit up front to just see how wholesale feels. Cause it might not be the right thing for you. So before you take this giant risk and buy all these, you know, materials to get your costs down, let's first see if wholesale even feels right for you, you know? So there, it's kind of making sure you're in touch with what you want your brand to be long-term and what feels right. And not just like doing what you think you need to do from a price perspective. Um, and then, you know, before even reaching out to anybody, it's being in check with your brand presence online. Do you, if, if you take a bird's eye view of your brand, are you comfortable with every way that a person, a buyer could get to your store? Does it show what you would want them to see? Does your Instagram reflect your brand? Does your, if you're on TikTok, does that reflect it? Does your website do all the different way, you know, avenues into your brand make sense? Because the first thing I do, would do as a buyer, if I got an email was go and look them up and whichever way came up first would be the way I would look at them. And if they had this like beautiful product but their website had bad photography or was blurry or, you know, didn't articulate the level of quality their product was, then you're immediately going to move on and kind of forget about them on the buyer side. So making sure your brand is kind of, you know, kind of ticked and tied and polished the way you'd want it to come across, um, you know, before you even reach out to them. Um, the other thing is having a line sheet. So if you're going to do, and the line sheet might be, a little further along. If you want to just this holiday season, just like quickly try and do it, you still could without a line sheet, but you, you really need something that's just, even if it's a one pager that has all the information on it, all your product details, how to order, like the basic contact information, at least have that so that 
you have something for them to look at other than just like some loose pictures in a Google Drive. So the line sheet template is super important. And then the outreach really is like, especially whenever you're trying to work with small brands or small retailers, I I should say, Mm -hmm. it's just about your relationship building. You know, like you were saying earlier, the cold, a cold DM, no one's going to buy from you. If you just find some random person on the street and you're like, Hey, you want to, do you want to buy my goods? Like, let me open up my trunk. It's kind of like that, right? Like they don't know you. So you got to take a minute and build a relationship, whether it's connecting with them on Instagram and starting the conversation there. Or if you go into the store, talk to them, actually have a conversation, which is really scary to do whenever you're not behind a phone screen or a computer screen, but have real conversations. So many of my clients literally will do that and be like, Oh my God, I got an order. Cause I walked in, I had a conversation and it's not like you're walking in with your product. You walk in and you are a customer. You're walking, you're browsing the store. You talk to them and you need to organically naturally say, Oh my God, I also make candles and I would love to bring them in sometime to show you. I think it could be a really cool fit for your store. Hmm. And they're probably going to be like, Oh yeah, come back in versus just walking in with a tray of your product. You know, you have to like warm them up a little bit. <laughs> and I'm sure people do that. <laughs> I'm sure because it's like you, you want the sale. You don't want to have to like put in, you know, all the hour. It takes a lot of time, but I think before you even can think about jumping to, oh, I want my store, my, my product, I'm sorry, in all the target stores, you got to first make sure that you're, you understand how wholesale works at a smaller scale, because it'll overwhelm you if you go straight for the big guys. Yeah. God. And then in terms of like, okay, it's 2022, almost 2023. And I was having this conversation with someone else. Oh, it was on someone else's podcast. Never mind. But we were talking about like trade shows and and that kind of thing. Like, do, do you feel like the trade show industry, wait, maybe it was not on the podcast. It was in the, it was yesterday in your office hours. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I've had so many conversations this week that I just, everything blurs together. Um, yeah. Like I would kind of like your thoughts on trade shows and like, do you feel like the way moving forward to get product into store is through trade shows? Is it like showing up at a store or is it like a third party that can hook you up to get into target or something? Or maybe it's like a combination of all the three, but I'm kind of curious because I feel like I have no very little knowledge of like literally any of that stuff. I only know how to get I only know how I can buy a product and then resell it. I have no idea the opposite. So yeah, yeah. For someone to get you the product. So I honestly think it's a mix of both, but I do think that the trade show landscape is changing. Like the old way of a trade show was they were these gigantic productions and you'd go through and you'd have one to two days as a buyer to walk through or your brand, you'd be, you know, and it still exists, right? Like the Atlanta, I think it was the Atlanta Mars we were talking about. Yes. you know, it's a huge investment for a brand, especially a small brand. And, you know, as a buyer, I never once placed an order at a trade show. Like that never was a thing. I would, I would, sometimes I wouldn't even talk to people because I would have one day out of the office to go. I would breeze through the shows. I would grab cards or line sheets or just write down the brand I liked. And I wouldn't even talk to them. And then like four months later, I'd email them and be like, Hey, I saw you at this trade show. Can I put an order in? So 
I'll say, I'll say this. I'm kind of rambling. So you're fine. I think trade shows are evolving. I don't think that they are what they used to be, or they, this, the importance of your brand presence when you're ready to kind of go to the next level is, is that trade show. I think there are a lot of smaller trade shows that I think are becoming more important. Like shop object, I think is one to, if you're, if you are like in touch with the trade show side of the business, that is one that is more curated and has a vibe. Um, and I think that that's what's starting to happen is these kind of smaller trade shows that are curated and they're being a little more um, edited with the brands that they're allowing to show. And I'm curious to see if more smaller trade shows kind of emerge that have kind of that edited feeling. And then buyers are going to go to ones that make more sense for their stores. I'm curious to see if that ends up happening. And simultaneously, all the online markets, like I think we were talking about the fairs and bulletins and, you know, all of those like wholesale platforms of the world are, are joining forces with these trade shows. And it's kind of becoming this in-person and digital experience. And I think, I think it's relevant. It's important to be relevant to both. So kind of picking and choosing what makes sense for you. But if you're small and just starting out, you don't need to go to show at an in-person trade show to grow, but you, I think do at that next level, but it's just about figuring out what the right trade show is for you. What stores do you envision your brand being in and figure out what's, what trade shows they're probably going to. Cause you can see the list of attendees on a lot of those trade shows you can see. And so start looking at like last year's and figure out, okay, what one makes sense for me to show at, um, you know, you don't have to go to all of them. So I think it's definitely, definitely changing, but there's nothing's going to ever be the, the art of relationship building. Is it a bee just fly by you? I just, something. <laughs> I'm so nervous for you now, really, truly. Like I am nervous for you. Um, but I don't think anything's going to ever be, you know, building relationships and connecting and finding people on LinkedIn and, you know, just really like hitting the ground and trying to reach out that that's going to still be your best bet instead of assuming they're going to find you. Yeah. You know, if there's someone you really want. Yeah. And like, what about like the big stores? And this is kind of something I've not that I, I don't have a product business anymore, but I always think like I, you, I, you see people on like Instagram, they're like, Oh, I just launched. I'm thinking of one person in particular. And she was like, I just launched to chewy.com. I sent a pitch and I, my product's going to be in all their stores and everything. And, um, but then I checked after and like, I, I never did see any of her products in there. Not that it like matters. I was just more curious. Um, Mm -hmm. but then you hear other people, like I've heard from other people in the pet industry that, you know, you have to work with like a PR type person to get into like a pet go or like, pet smart or something. Do you, have you heard anything like that? I'm just, I'm curious. Cause I, like I said, I literally, this is not my area of expertise and I'm very curious how the hell you end up in like one of these huge corporations. Cause I just think it's like really cool. I mean, honestly, you can do it without hiring somebody else to, I mean, you can hire me and I can help give you tips, but also <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you don't need to have some fancy PR. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, you don't need a fancy PR agency to help you or, you know, someone that's like doing outreach on your behalf. It, but it does take some time to figure out who the right person is. LinkedIn is your best friend. And once you figure out a, the right buyer and 
the email address ending. So you could, if you're not sure, but you're like, I want to be in target so badly mm-hmm. and you're like, maybe it's, you know, carry.fitzgerald at target.com or it's K Fitzgerald. You just test out every flipping iteration of their email address. And one of the pitches will probably eventually go through. (laughs) You can, you know, like you can use mail track that app onto your Gmail to see if someone's open or received your email or it'll bounce back, you know, so you'll know if it's not the right email, like just keep playing around with it. But you can always figure out who the right person is on LinkedIn. And there are tips on LinkedIn or tips on, I should, that I should say on the actual um, title that you can search for on LinkedIn. So you don't want to go for the VP of PetSmart, like, or the, this, the, um, you know, chief merchandising officer of PetSmart. You want to look for like the associate buyer or the buyer level. Cause those are the people that are making the decisions. They're the ones that are doing the research and finding the brands and like having those conversations. And then they pitch it to, you know, the VPs and, you know, GMMs and all of the higher ups. So you want to look for that kind of like mid, mid level, I think associate buyer and buyer is probably like the target you'd want to look at and the category that they buy for. So like, you don't, if you have a dog bandana company, you don't want to look, you don't want just every single buyer that works for PetSmart. You don't want to email the, the person that buys dog food. You want to find the person that buys pet accessories for PetSmart. And that's probably at the associate or buyer level. And then just try and figure out their email address. But it takes time. So if you, you know, really, really want PetSmart, then put your effort into finding PetSmart, finding that buyer, and just keep emailing them until they say no. Because just because they're not responding back to you, they could have not seen your email. It could not be, it could just be not the right time. They could be, you know, on vacation and they could be in a really busy meeting time period where they don't have, they can't even think about the next assortment because they're trying to wrap up the current one, but you could be the perfect fit for them, follow up in another month. And then you might be hitting them at that sweet spot. So it's just like a numbers game and consistency. So cool. And that when you were talking about LinkedIn, I was remembering I was on a call with someone and I can't remember who, of course, but um, but she was saying there's some little sneaky way that you can get people's email address from LinkedIn. And she like showed me what to do. And I can't remember now. But like you, mm-hmm. you do something on LinkedIn and then you like go to a different thing and it like will give you their email address it's like a really sneaky little tool and i don't know what that is i don't remember what it is now but yeah because it was about it was about pitching like pitching to the media and stuff and i was like oh that is so that's so smart i love that idea but do you recommend um because i feel like i have linkedin i never use it and i actually really need to but do you recommend people like sending messages to these associate buyers like on linkedin or email I think it's it doesn't hurt to do both. So you, I would say you could send a message on LinkedIn and also say, "Hey, I'd love to you know connect with you. Let me know if there's a specific email address you want me to send it to, or if you have their email address because you sleuthed and you figured it out, or whatever this like fancy website is that you can find the email. You could say, "I'm also going to send you an email, but I wanted to just drop a note here. I'd love to connect with you." And so they'll see it in two places because usually the LinkedIn message goes to their personal email, and for you know for the most part, and so that could kick into their personal inbox. And then they'll see you in their company email, 
which is when they're actually looking for that kind of thing. So it's kind of, yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt to be like the squeaky wheel. That makes sense. And I feel like you have to be ambitious when you're, mm-hmm. whether it's getting into a store, getting on a pitching to the media or, yeah. you know, trying to get into like anthropology. So um, yeah. I love that so much. Can I you, I know, no, I love it. I feel like we've talked about so many cool little things and I love talking about things that I don't talk about because like we talked about before we started recording, like I get a lot of questions about getting into stores and getting like doing wholesale that's not in my wheelhouse. And so I don't really talk about that because I don't know a lot about it. So I, it's fun for me because I feel like I'm learning from you and I love, I love that. Like I love learning and I always, you know, it's fun to just, you know, with e-commerce and all that, there's like a million different um, patterns to it. And like, there's so many different paths. And for me personally, like I love chatting with people and like learning something new that, you know, that I can learn. So anyway, well, if I, if I, I'll give you your, a shout out with the e-commerce society. And it's why I love being in it because, you know, I can talk all day about wholesale and product assorting and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not super strength, but my strength does not lie in marketing. And so that's what you're so amazing at. And so I love learning from you about that. And so there's, there's endless amounts of things to learn about and it's constantly changing and evolving. And so if you're doing yourself a disservice by not trying to learn from everybody around you, like nobody's a a complete expert. (laughs) Yeah. So some people try to, you know, they, they try to make it seem like they are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I cut myself off. I was like, I'm just going to leave it at that. You filled in the blank there. <laughs> okay. I want to quickly talk about your product and then we can talk about like where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. So you have your gifting service. Like what do you see? And, uh, you know, for anyone who's listening, what's the website really quickly? If people are listening, they it's, can go over. Yeah, it's shopbocu.com. Shopbocu. Okay. Like definitely check out her website. It's so beautiful. And like the product photos are absolutely flawless. But can you just tell people just because, you know, I think in general, everyone needs gifts for like the holiday season. Um, what kind of what, like who are your gifts great for? Like, are, is it good for like a mom or a sister or a friend or like your business bestie or something just to give some people gifting ideas since I know we're coming into the holiday season. Yeah. Well, literally all of those things. So we definitely target women. I have tested out men. Um, and you know what, it's just not, you, people can still come on and find a box for a guy, but really it just wasn't worth the, the investment there. It's definitely gifts designed for women on the website specifically. Um, so like you said, moms, you're, I mean, at Christmas time, we do a lot of mother-in-law gifts, sister-in-law gifts, people that are a little harder to buy for, or have all the things that they need. It's more of like, you just want to send them something that they feel appreciated. Um, you know, your, your work bestie for sure. Lots of friend gifts, lots of sister gifts. Um, and then also your team. So even if you have one direct report or five direct reports, it's really good for, um, you know, your team and your employee gifting. And then we do a lot of custom gifting at a larger scale. So anywhere from 10 to, I mean, the biggest one we've done is 500, but we could do 5,000 gifts. You know, it's, I could figure that out. If you have 5,000, get a 5,000 gift order. I'm making that happen, wow. <laughs> you know, but anything from corporate gifting to, you know, 
female entrepreneurs and coaches. We do a lot of gifts for them, for their clients, for their end of year or like mastermind gifting, that kind of thing. And in that case, it's usually more open from a gender perspective to be more new, like gender neutral. So we can create gifts for men. So that's where it becomes a little bit different, but the actual website itself is geared more from a, to a female audience for sure. Nice. I love that. And where did the name come from? I'm just curious. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to try and make this a quick story for for you. So naming was super important to me and I am not good at naming things. Like it takes me forever to come up with these things. So had the business plan ready. I mean, it took me a couple months to like slowly work through, but I had the business plan ready. I was working on the branding component. That was like the next step. And it was taking me months to figure out a flipping name. And I wanted something that could be a noun or a verb, kind of like Google, right? Not, you know, when I love to be Google, but it was, I wanted something that could go multiple ways and was short and just a couple of letters. That was my goal. And so I was just kind of burnt out on thinking about flipping name for this business. So fast forward, we went to, my husband and I went to Paris for our friend's 40th birthday. It was a, a friend group trip. We landed a day early and we were super jet lagged. We were walking to dinner or I think it was after dinner. And we were walking down this one side street in Paris. It was a dark street, except for one little restaurant was lit up. It had like 10 tables and it had just this like neon, not neon, like a, yeah, with a neon sign that just said Boku at the top, the French Boku. And it was this like dimly lit, beautiful, romantic little, it was like, I was like walking down a movie, you know, scene. And I was like, that's it. My husband's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Boku. So the word in French means a lot of. So it's a lot of love. It's a lot of, you know, thought. It's a lot of, you know, um, sympathy. It's, you know, that's what the French word means. I can make it a short word and I could say, you got a Boku. You got Boku. Who do you Boku? And he was like, I am too tired to think about this, but that sounds cool. And so that's really where I was born. Like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Just like, can we go to bed? I'm exhausted. Oh my God. Um, I love yeah, that story. story. That is so cool. I'm so glad I asked you. Do people ask you a lot, like where the name came from? I think I should do like a blog post or something about this. (laughs) People Uh, ask all the time, all the time. They also ask how to pronounce it, which I get. Um, Really? Yeah. I I I don't know. I (laughs) It seems pretty self-explanatory, but they do ask. (laughs) Those are also probably the people that would be like, copy pasting a pitch to me. So, (laughs) Oh my God. That is so cool though. Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel like, is that on your website? Cause it needs to be, if it's not, that is like, it's a really cool little story. Like the whole, like we're in Paris. I walked down this dark street and this one thing popped out and it was like, that's how my whole business came to be. I mean, not the whole business, but like, you know, your name, the name is important. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what it was? And on this relaunch, I took it off and now I'm like, maybe I should put it back on, but just do it better. Cause I think it wasn't a great about page before. And so I think I should add it back on. Yeah. Cause I like, I think that's, I mean, not that it matters what I think, but I think that's such a cool story. Cause if you were like, Oh, I don't know. I just thought of the word one day. That's like not that interesting. I mean, it's still like, you know, it's a good story, but when you have like a fun story where, Cause like, I feel like I have a similar story, but like not really at all, but <laughs> tell me your story. Have you told it on here before? I don't think I, I don't think. 
Yeah. No, I, I think I talked about it somewhere, but I feel like my brain has like been removed from my head and is like floating in the sky or something like it's being attacked by bees. I can't think of anything right now. I don't know if I have COVID or oh, no. <sighs> um, no, it's not the same at all. And I think your name story is awesome. Um, my dumb little story is so I constantly think of business ideas pretty much all the time. Most of them come in and then they float away. But and I posted this in the group. I just didn't quite tell like the story, but it's, I feel like I'm overplaying it now. It's, it's going to be disappointing. So I have been, <laughs> so I'm writing this business book called Customer Obsession, all about like loyalty and how to like create this like cult like, um, I probably shouldn't use the word cult, but like this cult like following for your business and brand. And um, so I'm, so this customer loyalty thing has like been in my brain. And I've been thinking for a long time. Like, what's the next step for my business? And I've been thinking, like, I really want to do Shopify apps. So I have a few ideas. So I've thought of it before. I didn't really have anything specific in my head. And then I was in on my Alaska trip. So we went on a cruise. And I'm up on the top deck walking on, like, the they had, like, a walking path. It was, like, the best thing ever because no one would ever be there. So I was up there, like, in the morning walking, have my music in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, whatever day this was, it was kind of dark. Not dark. It was, like, cloudy. And I'm walking. And all of a sudden, the sun, like, pops out of the sky. And then the idea popped into my head at the same time. Oh, my God. You should do a customer loyalty, um, like, rewards app type thing because like I've sort of slightly thought of it before but not not really it didn't really I don't know like it hit me differently this but it was like the sun came out at the same time and I was like oh my gosh and it was like this is my new this is like my new thing like I'm doing it and I literally went downstairs talked to my husband and I was like like I have to do this. Did he have the same reaction that my husband did, which was like, that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. um, no, he was like, he's <laughs> sort of into it. He So he is from India. He has a lot of, um, and I'm not trying to stereotype at all. I feel like I should be cautious of what I say. I'm not trying to stereotype, but he works with like a lot of Indian um, developers. And so when I told him, he was like, I know so many people that like, we could make this happen. So um because that's yeah, the so next biggest thing. It's like you could have this cool idea, but then the execution of it can get people really hung up. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm super excited. I'll be a user of your app for sure. Yeah. You can be your beta. Yeah. So I'm excited. But like that's so again, my story is not the same. But you have these like moments where it's like you may have thought of something before, but not really. And then it just all of a sudden you see something and it just like pops into your head. And that's the it's same. It's like the clarity moment where you can like pinpoint and say like, mm-hmm. okay, I've been like ruminating on this or I've been trying, I've been like thinking about it too hard and not letting it just like have space to breathe. And then when it, whenever you have like a, a second to actually think about it and it pops in, it's like you, you're able to clearly say, okay, that's it. That's, yeah. I think that's awesome. And that's how my first business happened. I had left a career in like marketing and education. I just had a baby. I was at the gym doing a strength machine and all of a sudden the idea popped into my head you should do a subscription box business like I had never in my whole life been like oh I want to start my own business like yeah. I was sort of in this like career path I was interviewing for jobs nothing was working out and the idea came into my head and like a week later I was like literally at Starbucks working on a logo and like 
cool. Making shit happen. So I feel like sometimes those weird moments, it's like the universe. I always think it's like a universe's like gift to you. It sounds wooey, but how else do you explain those little like things that get sprinkled into your life and you're like, oh my gosh, that one moment at the gym changed my entire life. Yeah. And like the trajectory that allowed you to then have the like Alaskan cruise sunrise moment, right? Like if you didn't have that experience before, you wouldn't have had this. Yeah, road. I like always be in touch with that stuff. It is wooey, but at the same time, <laughs> I like that stuff. So you're talking, you're not, you're talking to the right person for that. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, and I've had a few of those weird little things before. Um, but but yeah, even for you, it's like you know, what if? Not that it would have changed your whole business, but like I do think a name is a significant part of your business, and like I don't know, what if you couldn't think of the name and then it like it, and then you never launched it or something? I mean, you just kind of never know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like either you never launch it or you don't feel as tied to it. If you come up with some random name, cause you're just trying to force it. And you know, it's, it's hard to name things. And, yes. you know, I feel so attached to my business because I feel like I have that, I have that moment. I actually love when people ask me that because I, 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 I know that it sounds a little bit like I was in Paris walking down the street. Like it sounds very like, okay, get over yourself. But like, it was such a cool experience. Love it. Not only just that moment, but just like the rest of that weekend was so cool. And it's a group of friends that we now, every time one of us turns 40, we go on these huge epic trips. And so it's like, I don't know. I just feel like that was the first of all of those trips. And that's when Boku was born. And now it's like, I don't know, just it's intertwined in my life, which is I think it's amazing. Like, and honestly, coming up with, uh, you know, being like, I want to start a business. I mean, it it takes so much guts to do that in the first place because no one's just, I mean, yes, people start a business, but most people don't. And like to be like, you know, I have to do the branding and like do the website. And it's just exciting when you have those milestone moments where like, oh my God, I just came up with my business name. Like that's fucking cool. So I love that story. Like when you get that trademark or you get that, like you submit that LLC paperwork, you're like, oh my God, this is, that's like, those are big moments. Yeah, it is. I love that. I'm so glad I asked that. And I never, I didn't think of that before, but as we're talking, I'm like, yeah, I'm curious where the name is. So yeah, it's a good story. Okay. Tell everyone how they could work with you, where they can find you and remind everyone about your website so they can order your gift boxes for the holidays. Okay. Well, everything is at shop Boku. So shopboku.com at shop Boku is Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, all the things. And that's also where you can go to find me for coaching. There's a retail coaching tab on there. Just kept it all, kept it easy on myself and put it all on one website. So you can reach out to me and send me a DM or you can fill out the form on there. And what can you let people know what, like exactly how you help people in the coaching space? Like specifically, like I help people get into retail stores or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's all about helping with product strategy. And so identifying where you have opportunities to streamline your assortment tips on how to, you know, edit your assortment so that you're maximizing your profit. So really looking at your inventory, looking at your SKU count, really kind of just honing in on a product strategy. And then also the wholesale component and, 
you know, getting your product into stores and setting your business up so that you're ready for that. That's, those are really the two things right now. I'm just doing one-on-one coaching. Um, I have some ideas for something that's going to maybe roll out next year, but until I have that, until I have that light bulb sun on the roof of a cruise ship moment, I won't talk about that yet, but right now it's one-on-one coaching, which is just super fun for me. So I feel like you're going to have one this weekend now. You're going to be like, oh my God, guess what I thought of? Like it happened. Yeah, I'm sending you a med- message on um, on Instagram. Like, okay, Carrie, I know it's Sunday morning at 5 a.m., but here's the thing. It's okay. I'll be awake. <laughs> I wake up early. Um, oh my gosh. I love it. I love our conversation. Um, so fun. Thank you so much for being on and sharing so many good stories and just some good strategies on getting or like how you can start thinking about getting into retail stores, because I know it's a lot of steps and good tips on pitching and things like that. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Carrie A. Fitzgerald. My name is in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next week.